Amen. Well, do you know that? Do you believe that? Man, I, I hope your uh, hearts have just been drawn to the awesome power and the greatness of our God, the majesty of Jesus. There really is no king like him. And what a, what a, what a privilege it is for us to just kind of spend a little, a few minutes thinking about his kingdom and what it's like to live under his rule and want to give him the glory that he deserves. So let's do that together. You can find your seats. And uh, if you have a Bible, uh, let's take those out and go with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 20. Uh, we're kind of all over the place today, but we'll, we'll start there. So Exodus chapter 20, I want you to have a copy of of God's word in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, our ushers are coming around. You just get their attention. They'd love to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, please just take that one with you. It's a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have that and study it with us. Or you can follow along with us on uh, the Bible app. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. And we are, uh, last week we were looking at the Ten Commandments. And, and just as we've been singing about the glory and the majesty of God, that's what we saw on display in the Ten Commandments was the, the character of this good and this holy God that, that, that he really is awesome and that God's way is better. Which is why David said in Psalm 16 that, that you show to me the, the path of life. And then in Psalm 19, he says, the law of the Lord is, is good. Uh, it's perfect, reviving the soul. Like, like God's ways just work better. It's the best way to live. But the law was also there we saw, uh, to convict us of sin and point us to our uh, need for Jesus. I mean, the fact is we could never uh, keep uh, the law, but he kept it for us. And then he redeemed us from the curse of the law by dying uh, on the cross for our sins and just so thankful for what Jesus accomplished for us. So thankful for that. And, uh, but, but today, we are going to be looking, kind of finishing up uh, Exodus chapter 20 and 21 and 22 and 23 and 24. And so because of that, we're looking at a lot of, uh, that's five chapters, okay? We are not going to read all of that. That's why I actually gave you some homework last week. If you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Uh, how many of you, just curious, how many of you uh, read Exodus 20 through 24? All right, all right, that's encouraging. Uh, be honest, be honest. How many of you uh pulled into the parking lot and remembered it at the last second, so you decided to just stay in your car and skim over it. Any, any Pharisees out there that are out? Okay. Listen, I, I, I'm glad that, that, that those of you who are able to do that, I think it's worth our time. I know there's some crazy things in there as we're reading through uh, all of this section. There's a lot in here. We wanted to kind of take it all at once. This is, we're, we're looking at the laws of God for the people of Israel. And the question is, why does God give them a bunch of laws? Like, why are these even here? So, so we have to uh, kind of remember that, that God was making a covenant with Israel. We, we might call that the Mosaic covenant because it's, you know, under Moses' leadership here. But God is setting Israel apart as holy. And so what he's doing in these chapters is he's expanding on and helping to apply the Ten Commandments, how these are supposed to uh, flesh out in everyday life, how he wants them to live in society so that th these are kind of helping them so that they would know how to judge in specific cases as they're going along. Just, just, just remember, you got to think about this. There are literally thousands and thousands of the children of Israel, and they're all on this road trip and they're going to live together in the promised land. 
And so God knows what's going to happen. They're going to they're need a little bit of help uh, getting along with each other. And so what God's trying to do in this, he's trying to uh, set some expectations, set some boundaries so they don't kill each other. You know what I'm talking about? Like parents, you know how this works, right? Like as you're trying to set some boundaries, you realize sometimes you play, you're playing referee, uh, just trying to stop the fights, right? And you're like, no, 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 no. You stay over here. That's, that's your coloring book. You, you draw on your page. Don't draw on your brother's page or his face or anything like that, right? Like you, you just, you're trying to referee all this. Those of you who have a roommate, Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're living with somebody else, though, and you're trying to uh, share uh, some uh, of this space together. You realize you kind of have to set some boundaries sometimes, right? You're like, please do not eat all of my food in the fridge. You might have noticed that I, you know, like I specifically put my name, I literally put it in a lockbox for which you did not receive a key. Don't know if you noticed that, right? Something along those lines. We're trying to help set some boundaries, set some expectations so that we're not always irritating, we're not always uh, uh, violating one another's rights. Fair? We get that. But the deeper question for us as we come to a text like this, uh, we're asking the question, what, what, what are we um, as, as New Testament followers of Jesus, uh, here at Fairfax Bible Church, what, what are we supposed to do with these laws? How are we supposed to read this? And Dr. Tony Morita said it this way. I think this is helpful for us to keep in mind. There's both continuity and discontinuity here. Okay, like first, back to what we kind of were saying last week, that, that, that we are not under Mosaic law. This was for Israel, okay? We are living now in the new covenant in Jesus, and so we're living in a different part of the story, which is why we don't come to these rules and we look at them like bylaws and we start directly applying them to us. Most of us are not concerned with whether our ox is out in the backyard and about to gore our neighbor to death. And this is why we're also not going out and, and uh, uh, killing sorceresses and, and, and doling out the, the death penalty when someone curses their parents. And, and, and we're not calculating a, a bride price for virgins. We're not gathering for the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the month of Aviv. We're not, uh, we're, we're not making sure that we're not boiling a goat in its mother's milk. Like, you're like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this stuff is in there. It almost makes you want to read it, right, those of you who missed there's some crazy laws in here. Like, how are, we, how are we supposed to apply these things? I want you to remember that in one sense, all of this is just a part of the story of the Bible. God chose the nation of Israel, and he sets them apart because he wants to use them in his redemptive plan as we see that unfolding in the story of the Bible. And so when we look at Israel and their failure to, to, to keep this just over and over, they, they don't obey, what we're seeing is our own hearts too. And we're seeing our need for a savior. And the story of the Bible helps us understand that what God was doing was he set this nation apart was because through them he was going to send his son, Jesus, to save us. And so remember, we don't have to keep the Mosaic law, okay? But while we don't have to keep the Mosaic law, that doesn't mean that it's not relevant for us. 
Because much like we saw last week as we were looking at the Ten Commandments, in these laws, as we're going to kind of get a little bit of a survey here on these, in these things, we are seeing the character of God on display. And we're seeing the values of God's kingdom like fleshed out in a specific context. We're seeing who God is, and, and we're, getting a, we're, we're seeing a better way for us to live. So then we could ask this question. If we're just kind of looking at all of this and trying to back up and see the, the forest uh, here, what, what's at the heart of all this? What is it that God's really uh, looking for in his people? I think Micah, the prophet Micah, actually asks a very similar question. Uh, Micah chapter 6 I've got this one for you on the screen. Starting in verse six, he asks this question. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Like, like I'm, I'm gonna come into the presence of God. What do I gotta bring with me? And he asks, like, like shall, I, shall I come before him with, with burnt offerings, with, with calves a year old? Is that what God's really looking for, that, I, that I'm coming in with these, with these burnt offerings? Here's what he says in verse eight. If you don't have this one uh, underlined in your Bible, you might wanna turn there and just star this, okay? Here is really what God is looking for. He says, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, God's not just looking for external compliance to a, a list of rules. It was important for Israel to uh, obey all of these things, but, but God's, it's, it's not like God's just got a thing for the smell of burning animals on an altar and he just wanted them to uh, do that. No, no, God, God was looking for hearts that really, they loved him and they worshiped him and they, and they stood in awe of his holiness. And it's not just that, that, that he didn't want them to steal or cheat their neighbor and he wanted them to pay back what they owed and, 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 and tell the truth on the witness stand and not take bribes like you. Yes, but, but what he really wanted to see was, was that they loved their neighbors. And they weren't just thinking about themselves, but they were putting somebody else's needs before their own. They actually cared about other people. In short, what, what, what we're seeing here He's not just looking for this external compliance. He wants their hearts. He wants our hearts. I think about it this way. Um, my son, Javen, my youngest son, Javen, sometimes, sometimes he will rip a toy away from his sister, JC. I know for those of you who know him, you're like having a really hard time imagining that he would ever treat his sister that way. Sometimes it happens. And when he does, we have to, you know, step in as parents and, and, and try to uh, keep, uh, make things right and, and, and make sure that they're not fighting over this. Our, our, listen, our goal in that is not just to keep the peace. Like sometimes, sometimes that's about all it comes down to. We're just trying to keep them from killing each other. But honestly, uh, in, in sometimes we have some better parenting moments where we actually care about what's going on in his heart. One of the goals that we want to see is that he's actually going to not just, not just leave her alone, but that he wants to be kind, that, that he wants to share. He wants to uh, love her and think about somebody else besides himself, right? And, and so sometimes in those moments, 
um, when he has you know, taken something, we have to uh, step in and uh, force him uh, to give back and, and actually say he's sorry. And you can just imagine um, his, how genuine and heartfelt his remorse and desire to repent and make restitution really is. Like that doesn't really happen most of the time. But, but, but you can see what's happening here. We, we can see it a little bit of what's going on in his heart. We're not just looking for him to follow the rules. We want to see some heart change. So, so what is it that God is really looking for? Well, here's the big idea. Here's the big idea as we kind of look at all of these laws and, and, and that, that God is giving to Israel and seeing his character on display. God is looking for a heart that loves him and loves others. Now, that's at the heart of this. That because uh, we have been saved by God's grace through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, we love Jesus. And, and we, the way that we love him, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then Jesus kind of summarized all of these commandments. He said, uh, this is the greatest commandment. You remember? He said to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so as we're looking at all of these laws and how God intended Israel to live this out, we can measure our lives by some of this. We're not trying to keep these things, remember? But we're measuring our lives by the character and the design and the values of God's kingdom and, and what we see displayed in them. And so, so let me do this. I want to give you two heart-probing questions as we try to uh, uh, unpack what is at the heart of all of this. Here's, here's the first heart-probing question. Are you pursuing justice and love for others? Are you pursuing justice and love for others? Because Micah 6, uh, 8 said this, do justice and love kindness. Like there's, there's got to be a concern for doing what's right and uh, you're thinking about other people and, and you, you're, you're looking out for their interests, especially, especially those who are vulnerable, who need help, somebody who needs a voice, somebody that's in a, in a, in a position where they could be taken advantage of. It's, it's especially true of those people. And so many of the rules here in chapters 21, 22, and 23 especially, all these, so many of these rules promote uh, justice and peace because uh, a society has to be kept in check by ethics and, and regulations. Otherwise, there's just absolute chaos. Like this just kind of makes some common sense to us, but, but, but C.S. Lewis actually talked about this in his book, Mere Christianity, as he's wrestling with uh, morality. He actually gives us this analogy of uh, these, uh, a fleet of ships on the water. You got a fleet of ships on the water. When it comes to this, he's, he's trying to help us get this picture that, that, that we have to be concerned with, with getting all of these ships going in the right direction so that they don't crash into one another and sink. You get that? You see, the reality is that people left to themselves will run into each other and sometimes run over each other. And so we, we, we think about it in our context. We actually have some modern laws that are in place to uh, try to prevent that and then govern what should happen when people do. We, we have laws about, like, stoplights 
and speed limits and uh, seat belts. Th- th- those, those things are in place in, in one sense to prevent crashes and to prevent unnecessary injuries and, and death. Like, we don't want that to happen, and it actually works better. And I know that some of you hate those laws. Can we be honest? Like, I, I was thinking about this week. Like, I, uh, I, I hate sitting at the traffic light at 50 and 29 at about 5 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. You know what I'm talking about? That's the one where you're literally sitting. At, you, will, you will sit through uh, the same light turning red like three times before you actually get through it. As much as I hate sitting at that, I cannot even imagine what the convergence of those two roads would be like if it was all on an honor system and up to uh, the, the goodwill and the kindness of the afternoon commuters. Can you imagine what would happen there? Like that's gonna work out super well, right? So, so you start to realize like, okay, we actually need this. Like this actually, these kind of things, they, they, they help us work better. When you think about, um, we have codes in, in building houses so that, People don't fall through the floor and you don't get electrocuted and you don't strike power lines as you're digging underground or you don't uh, like overcrowd a, a place and, and pose a, a fire hazard. And we have you know, uh, property laws to prevent people from uh, theft and, and fraud and we have labor laws to prevent against exploitation and, and, and promote fairness and all this. And I, and I know some, you, you may not agree with all of the laws, I get that, but, but you have to understand that they were added at least in an attempt to promote uh, peace and justice and prevent people from harming one another and taking advantage of one another. You get that? You understand what's going on here? And so we're seeing some of that reflected in these laws as God is setting up the nation of Israel. One of the things that we see is that God cares about justice. And, And we see it in laws... Um, like there's a, there was a law that if you start a fire and you actually burn somebody's uh, property down, God told them that you're to make full restitution, make it right. And if two guys get into a fight and you punch one dude so hard that he has to stay in bed for a couple of days and he can't go to work, God says you like pay for the loss of his time, make, make sure that he's thoroughly healed. And if you've got that, that, that neighbor that just drives you nuts and you can't stand that guy and then you see his donkey wandering away like he's losing his property, you're not supposed to be like, hey, loser, and just let it happen. You're actually supposed to bring it back to him. And, and he says, don't, don't spread uh, a, a false report. Don't lie about someone. Don't be a malicious witness. It's not right. And so in this, we're seeing that God cares about people. That, that, that he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or anybody else, and he, he promotes and, and he, he protects life. Which is why we see the, the laws about, like, if you kill somebody, you deserve to die. And even that, that, that weird one about um, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk, which we're like, what in the world is going on here? And, and, and you know, even to this day, the Jews can't have a cheeseburger, right? Because you can't mix Meat and dairy, like that's, that's the way they view this and try to uh, apply this. But, but we do see something in there that there's, it's a picture that actually violates God's design. That that milk should be life-giving to the goat, not cooking it. See, even in all of this, what we're seeing is that God cares about people and he values life. And he wants us to experience the best of that. And one of the things that stands out so clearly in these laws is that God especially cares for, for the vulnerable, the people that need a voice, that, 
that are in a position that they could be taken advantage of. They could be easily hurt. God cares about those people. And we see it in laws, uh, first off, we see it in laws like uh, laws about slaves. And, and, and let's be honest, like, there's, a, there's a part of me that I hope, uh, I don't know if you got to, uh, in your reading in chapter 21, you felt a little like, wait, time out, time, like, what, what, what's going on? Like, that, that, in some ways, that should kind of strike a nerve for us, especially because of our American history. Like, like what, what, why, is, what, why is that even being talked about in the Bible as if God's okay uh, with that? But I want to I help clarify that the kind of slavery that we saw in the United States is not what God is talking about here, okay? And it was such a wicked thing for men in this country to take this text from the Bible as justification for their racial and oppressive slavery. One, it just misunderstood the, the culture. And two, more importantly, they missed the heart of God here for the vulnerable, Chapter 21, if you want to see this, chapter 21, verse 16, this is really clear. Verse 16, he says this, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. That's like an absolute, uh, outright abolition of kidnapping somebody against their will and then forcing them into oppression and slavery. And so some of the things that we've experienced in our history, got to know, God's not on board with that, Okay. But, but, but we do see slavery is kind of a common practice in the ancient worlds all over the place. And, and, and the way this works is often people were, were hired into surface, service or they were uh, contracted into work uh, to pay off. Maybe it was to pay off debts that they owed or because uh, really it was poverty. They didn't have it. So in some ways it was actually helping them. You can, in some ways you can kind of think of it like uh, indentured service. It's not that they were free, uh, but, but, but it's just indentured service. They need this. But... In these laws, what we're seeing is that God is protecting these people. One, he makes sure that it's supposed to be temporary. Verse two, verse two, he said, uh, they're to serve six years, and in the seventh, let them go free. Free. Like, this wasn't supposed to last forever. Like, like I get it, there might be a contract here, but, but this is not supposed to last forever like you own them or something, unless unless the, 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 the person who's working for them, he wanted the benefits of working for his master, and he chose to stay and keep working. But even in this, there's rules here uh, showing that God wanted them to be treated fairly and not abused, and he's protecting their families and keeping them together. Like, like God's concern is to take care of them. We see God's concern uh, for the marginalized and for the vulnerable also in the laws uh, about women and children. In, in chapter 21, verse 22, you get these, uh, there, there's this story of uh, two guys and, and, and this incident of them fighting together and they accidentally hit a pregnant woman while they're fighting. I'm like, God's getting really specific to try to help you understand what's behind his heart here. What are we supposed to do in that case? Here's what God says. If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. See, God cares about the, the lives of these women and even the babies, the, the unborn. God cares about life. And then we also see his care for women. In uh, chapter 22, we see that, uh, that incident about paying the, the, the bride price for virgins. Like basically, God wasn't having it for some guy to sleep with a young girl and then just toss her aside. Like he, like he could take advantage of what he should have only enjoyed with her as a married man, but not actually stay committed to her. And God's like, nah, man, you're not treating her like that. He cares. He's protecting. We especially, I mean, just, just listen to the severity of God's concern for widows and orphans here. Uh, chapter 22, verse 22. 
He says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. What he's saying is, don't you dare hurt these women and children who are in need of protection. You sense that? He also cares about the sojourners. Well, we saw laws in there about, these are uh, internationals, these are um, they're, they're people that are not from around here and they could easily be taken advantage of because they may not uh, speak the language and they don't know the culture, they don't know uh, the customs and all of this. And, and, and God said, you, you shall not wrong or oppress him for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He's trying to help his people remember, like, remember that? Now think about how you wish you had been treated when you were in a foreign land. And God cares about the poor. He's like, listen, if they, if they need help and you can help, help them out. But for crying out loud, don't take advantage of him. He says, don't, don't exact interest. And if the poor man cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. God is, God is gracious. God is merciful. And he cares about those who are in need. At the end of this chapter 23, we see God's want, he wants there to be justice in the legal system. Not, not, not partiality to the poor, but also not accepting bribes from people who have money and can afford it. Pay off the judge, pay off a witness. And, and, and so denying justice to somebody just because they're of lower economic status. Like God cares for people. And so maybe the way that we, like, as, as we're stepping back and we're seeing who he is and how he operates and what he values, the question then for us, the question for you as you read this, is do you care about people like God cares? Are you pursuing justice and love for others? Think, think about people in our community that are in need. This is why, um, for example, our Go Beyond efforts are so important. Go Beyond is this, we, we take an entire month during the year and, and we've got all of these service projects and it's not like we only serve in one month, but, but we, we take intentional time to, to lift up our eyes and look into Fairfax and Northern Virginia and say, where, where are the needs? What can we do? And, 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 and our team, uh, our Go Beyond team was actually meeting yesterday to start planning and looking ahead for the year. What we're trying to do is serve. And, and reach out in tangible love and compassion. We don't want to just tell people that God loves them. We want to show them the love of God and, and serve and meet those needs as we see them in the community. This is why we're also trying to develop a, 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 a culture that supports adoption and foster care. And we've got a team of people uh, dedicated to that, going to be meeting in a few weeks, and we're trying to figure out how we can celebrate and support families opening up their homes to, to welcome and to love the uh, vulnerable need, children that are, that are innocent, they need a home, they need a place, they need a family, they need to know that they're loved. We just want that to become normal here, that, that there is a love of Christ permeating through this family and then also in our individual families, and we're willing to open up our homes to that. That's the way we flesh out and live out the gospel and what Christ has done for us because we've been adopted. And I know many of you are serving and reaching uh, refugees and internationals in our uh, community. Like, we have a lot of that around here, and I'm so thankful. That, man, I gotta tell you, like, when, when you, those of you who have like, left and come here, you are so brave. And, and, and let's be honest, like, this is not easy, okay? 
And some of the people that have moved here and done this, I mean, they're, they're alone and, and, and uh, they don't understand all these things. They're a little bit overwhelmed. They don't know the culture. They don't know the customs. They're trying to get used to all the, I mean, imagine like just trying to figure out traffic around here that just they need somebody that's going to come alongside of them and just take some time to be with them and love them and encourage them and just let them know we love you this is why we also need the people that are willing to step into the darkness of human trafficking in our community it's kind of the underbelly of dc something that's a, a reality in our community that there's a great need there people that are willing to jump into this and, and, and try to rescue and extend and demonstrate the unconditional love of Christ and, and the healing that he brings there. And trying to, to reach those that are in, in, in crisis, those are, whose lives are, are being uh, wrecked by addiction, those that are uh, experiencing crisis in pregnancy. There's, just, there's so many of these needs. And, and, and I just want to, as we're thinking about uh, how we flesh this out, don't forget this is our mission, Okay. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. This church is a family. And we're growing in our love for one another. And this ought to be a place where there is a welcome without judgment here. And, and, and that we, it, it's not an attitude of like, us four, no more. I like the way things are. I don't want people coming in here and messing up uh, my people. Like, no, 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 there's a, there's a willingness to go. There's a willingness to reach out and, and to advance the gospel, telling people about Christ, and then welcoming them in to experience the love of Jesus in this family together. We want that. So, so I think there's some obvious ways uh, that, that needs, we can uh, try to seek out these needs and, and meet them and demonstrate a pursuit of justice and a pursuit of love forever. But, but I, I also want to encourage some of you, many of you might be doing this and you don't even realize it. Many of you are living out the values of God's kingdom in what you do at work. Like, I... I know like a lot of you are like, I hate my job, or like I'm just doing it for the paycheck. It's like a necessary evil. Can I just redeem that for just a little bit? God is using what you do. He's using what you do at your job, whether it's in, in, in business or in law or government or security or finance or retail or medicine or education or IT or, or services or, or construction. Like what, whatever you and your company or your organization does is, is probably serving and promoting good in people's lives in some capacity. And maybe it's, you, you don't see it directly, but it's there. And, and, and you're not just uh, turning a profit, although there's benefit to that, but, but you're meeting uh, people's needs physically and, and medically and emotionally, and, and you're providing uh, uh, some services to individuals and businesses and organiz, organizations that need your skills and, and your expertise. They need that. And you're providing beautiful and safe uh, environments for other people to live in and to work in and you're, you're, you're uh, protecting and restraining evil and you're promoting justice and you're looking out for the welfare in your community. There's something good that what you're doing, what your organization, what your company, what you are doing personally, it's promoting some of these things. And God in his providential care is using that for the good of our community. So just, I, I think about, like, if, can you just imagine the difference and the effect that it would have on your industry and on your office and the, the people that you work with when, when they see your drive for excellence and to do things right because it's motivated out of a heart of 
love and concern and compassion and care for others. You see that? So can I just encourage you, do what you do and do it well. But there's a new motivation. Do it out of a a desire to reflect the justice and the kindness and the compassion of a loving God. Do you love? Let me give you um, one more heart-probing question as we are kind of assessing what we're seeing on display for us here. Here's here's the second heart-probing question. Note this. Are you humbled by the grace of God? Are you humbled by God's grace to you? And don't forget that as God is, is, is laying these laws out, he's impressing on Israel his awesome holiness and his presence here. Like to the point where he's trying to help them understand, like, worship me only. And they see this and they're, they're like, Moses, you talk to us. Like, don't let God talk to us. We're going to die. Like, they, they're starting to get this, the, the seriousness to, to worship God only. In fact, when, when, when God started um, expounding on the Ten Commandments at the end of chapter 20 where we began today, uh, the, the first laws that we were seeing were these laws about altars and not making any false gods. No false idols. Then in chapter 23, after, after all of these various laws, he, he ends up promising them, just reminding them that he's going to bring them and lead them into the promised land in Canaan. But one of the things he makes sure he tells them is when you get there, make sure you drive out the inhabitants of the land that are living there. Why? So that they don't make you sin. And so that you don't go after and bow down and start worshiping and serving their gods and their idols. That'll, that'll be a snare to you. Worship God only. And then in chapter 24, we, we get this interesting story about uh, Moses and Aaron and, and, and some of the elders. They actually got to go up and see God. And, and we're not exactly sure what they saw. Like, it's pretty clear it, it was only a partial view of God because later in chapter 33, Moses is going to ask to see God's glory. And God tells him, like, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. But, but somehow, uh, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and these 70 elders, they, they got a chance to go into God's presence. And verse 11 there, uh, chapter 24, verse 11, tells us that, that God did not lay his hand on them. Like, somehow, they lived to tell about this experience. But you can bet they learned something from this, impressed with the holy presence of God. And then the chapter ends with Moses going up on the mountain alone and the glory of the Lord is in the cloud and, and it says his, the, the appearance of his glory is like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in sight of the people of Israel. And Moses is up there for 40 days. There's just this overwhelming sense uh, uh, throughout these chapters that we've read uh, of God's holiness and the seriousness of obeying him. And so I want to read something. If you're there in chapter 24, I want you to look at verse 3, okay? Chapter 24, let's start reading in verse 3. Just remember this, this, this sense of God's presence and the seriousness of obeying him. They're starting to pick up on this. In verse 3, it says this, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. 
Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, which I I think... That is the Ten Commandments and all the laws that we've just looked at in the previous chapters. He took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You ever been guilty of... um, over-promising and under-delivering. <laughs> like, I hate to use those, like, parenting illustrations all the time, but you know this. Mom, your, your, your kid's like, yeah, 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 Mom, I heard you. And you're like, really? Really? Like, I feel like God's probably there. After all of these rules, they, they're like, yeah, 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 we're on it. We're gonna do all of it. We are going to obey. And because we know the rest of the story, we can look at this and we're like, Maybe, just maybe, they had a little bit too much confidence in themselves and their own abilities, right? Remember the analogy of the ships uh, that C.S. Lewis gave us? He's saying that that morality is is concerned with avoiding uh, chaos and and damaging consequences caused by our actions. And so, 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 right, he's helping us see this, like we gotta get the ships going in uh, the right direction so that they don't crash into one another. But then he's kind of saying, like, the bigger problem is when the ships are broken and they don't know the final destination. Like, like telling them to just not run into each other doesn't mean that they're going to have a successful voyage if they don't get to the, the right destination in the end. And they're not going to be able to get there or avoid collisions and crashing and sinking if they can't steer straight. The ships are broken. You see, like giving us rules doesn't make us good. Because we are broken by sin. We can't keep God's law. We, we, we can't do it. Our hearts are too prone to sin, to rebellion. And, and that's the overwhelming message of the Old Testament story of Israel. This is what we see on display over and over again as they're failing to do this. And really the law was given here to reveal to mankind, we're sinners. Well, we can't do this but it points us to the one who kept it for us. And I think there's a pretty sweet picture here. Look at, look at verse eight. Look at this again. Verse eight says that Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. Literally, he's splattering animal blood on the people. Like if some of you in that moment, uh, if you got like some of that blood like fell on your shirt, I'm sure some of you probably start like gagging. Some of you probably just passed out in that moment, right? Like, why? what's going on? This feels a little weird. Like, why, why blood? Why is he doing this? Well, he's consecrating the people by the blood. Setting them apart. And look what he said. He said, behold the blood of the covenant. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, 
before he went to the cross, he was uh, with his disciples in the upper room. You remember he took the cup and he passed it around. He said, drink this. I, I, I want you to see this. Matthew uh, chapter 26, here's what he said. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here's what God's looking for. God is looking for hearts that love him and love others. But that's just it. We don't. Like as much as we wanna, you know, like overpromise, we end up under-delivering and minimizing our sin and acting like we've got it all together, acting like we're really good people. But the reality is that we are rebellious sinners that are running away from God and, 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 and we're making idols out of all these other pursuits. We deserve the judgment and the wrath of this holy God. But Jesus poured out his blood for us on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And so what he's looking for now is hearts that believe him, that, that trust, not in our ability to do things right, but we're trusting what Jesus did for us. And when you believe, there's this great exchange that God took our sin on the cross and in our faith in Christ and belief in what he did for us, we are given the righteousness of Jesus. He's not looking at what we've done. He's looking at what Jesus did for us and we are forgiven. And then we can enjoy this relationship with God. And so we love him, and that love for God just spills out into our love for others. And when we keep coming back to the gospel, I think it keeps us from external compliance to a list of rules and just trying to, to, trying to earn God's favor. We can just, un, uh, just, just rest in this unconditional and undeserved love that we've received. And that's pretty humbling, isn't it? Which is why he says, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Father, thank you so much for what you accomplished for us. We, we see um, that you're a good God who cares. You're a good God who loves. You, want, you, you care about that things are done right, that people are taken care of, people are not taken advantage of. You care about those who are in need. You care about those who are, who are vulnerable, who are in a spot with no voice, and, and they could easily be hurt and, and, and damaged by uh, the hatred or the arrogance or the greed, uh, the impulses of sinful people around us. We, we do so much damage to one another. So God, I thank you that your way is right. It really does work better. But God, we just confess, we're broken. We can't do this. So we thank you so much that you would send Jesus who kept this for us. And that we can trust in the righteousness of Jesus that has been given to us because of what you accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you for taking our place. Lord, I pray that that, that would motivate our hearts to just be humble before you, so thankful for this, that we can just rest in this. And then, Lord, as you have been to us, we want to be to others. I pray that we would be a church. There would be a welcome without judgment here. 
there would be a willingness to go. There would be a willingness to open our doors, open our homes, open our arms, reach out to those who are in need because this is the way you treated us. And we're so thankful for it. You are a gracious, merciful, holy, and awesome God. We give you praise in Jesus' name.